Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. This is Tactical Tuesday. Tuesdays are traditionally short form content that's tactical and practical. Sometimes it's content from one of our many live events like all the fantastic content we've produced from Solar Power International or other events that we regularly bring through. It's a bite-sized way that you can learn and grow here with us on Suncast. And today you have found one of these amazing pieces of content from our recent Solar Power International production that is still live. You can watch it over at solarpowerinternational.com. You can also watch it at www.mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. That's SPI 2020. You can learn all about the many, many pieces of uh, informative content that we produced over the seven weeks that was SPI 2020, the virtual trade show and exhibit. And today's The Great Solar Debate. Can energy management software alone replace batteries. It was an amazing roundtable discussion, sparring back and forth between our good friends, John Powers over at Extensible Energy, Andrew Tanner at Yada Energy, and also Jonas Villalba from Promise Energy. Three practitioners, both using, creating, and evangelizing energy management software and storage. In real life, when it was live, we were running it as a debate and the audience got to vote. You could see that vote if you go to mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. I hope that you will. I hope that you'll stick around and listen to this whole debate. It was really funny, especially uh, towards the end. Some of the banter back and forth with Andrew and John is priceless. And if you're looking to connect with today's guests, then while you're over uh, on mysuncast.com, you can check out today's episode blog page where we link to each one of the companies and the guests and their LinkedIn page. I hope you'll take a chance to do that. And you can also connect with me, the host, at Twitter, LinkedIn, or email, all of which are also linked right there in the blog. So thanks for stopping by once again for these practical tools, tips, and advice to build your solar business and career. Thanks for growing with us here on Suncast. Now get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into The Great Solar Debate, Part 1. Another powerful conversation coming at you here on Suncast. Hey, and welcome to The Great Solar Debate. So glad that you are tuning in here as part of the Solar Power International 20. 20 trade show and conference. Today, we are going to try and settle once and for all a debate that is, in fact, actively ongoing in the commercial and industrial rooftop and broader solar market. And that is whether energy management software can replace batteries in commercial solar systems. I'm your host, Nico Johnson. 
of Suncast Media, and I am really looking forward to today's lively discussion between several battery and energy management software experts. Before we talk about the rules, though, let's meet our debaters. First up, hailing from Berkeley, California, is the CEO of Extensible Energy, John Powers. John, you've got one minute to introduce yourself and what Extensible Energy is all about. Thanks a lot, Nico. Really appreciate the opportunity. So I've been in the energy business for the last 30 years, mostly working in renewables and demand response and energy efficiency. And when we looked at how the commercial solar market was evolving to match the needs of larger capacity solar installations on those buildings, we saw the need to match the output of the solar with the usage of the building. That's where load flexibility software comes in, and that's what we do at Extensible Energy. We work directly with solar installers to bring load flexibility software into commercial buildings as a complement to the solar systems to make them more cost-effective to drive up the return on investment for our customers. Fantastic. Contending on behalf of energy storage, next we have Andrew Tanner of Yada Energy out of Austin, Texas. Andrew, give us a minute to tell us about yourself and how Yada does commercial storage. Yeah, hi everybody. Uh, my name is Andrew Tanner. I am VP of Strategy and Growth at Yada Energy. Uh, we're an Austin-based energy storage company pioneering uh, this little device up here that installs uh, directly beneath uh, solar panels. Uh, it's a one kilowatt hour modular uh, battery that uh, that directly PV couples to solar panels. So solar panels uh, directly connect into them and we share the same uh, solar inverter that, that the panels would ordinarily. Um, this technology came about um, because uh, commercial industrial buildings have struggled uh, to uh, adopt energy storage in a cost-effective manner uh, because of the inherent uh, bespoke nature of the engineering, the siting, and all of the overhead that, that comes with the installation. Uh, typically on a, a sub-megawatt hour uh, installation on a commercial building, the total cost of the, the uh, system uh, will in fact only be made up about a third of the actual hardware equip equipment itself. So uh, we're looking to really disrupt um, the market with this decentralized format. Um, and having spent 20 years in the renewable energy industry, uh, developing solar technology, developing energy storage technology, and, and even also working on the software side. Uh, I know a, a good technology when I see one, and it's what propelled me to, to join Yotta. And finally, from Los Angeles, California, Jonas Villalba is the VP of Project Development at Promise Energy, where they install both energy storage and energy management technology. Jonas, you got one minute. Tell us a bit about yourself and the company you represent. Thank you, Nico. We're really excited. I'm really excited to participate today. Um, Promise Energy really cut its teeth in the California market, focusing on multifamily affordable housing. And we've done hundreds of uh, interconnections with regular plain old solar. And as uh, battery storage became more cost effective, we started integrating uh, that technology as well. And um, I guess from my perspective, we can talk about 
on the high level, whether solar or storage is better. Uh, the reality boots on the ground is that all comes down to the interconnection. And so uh, in that multifamily affordable housing space, we've dealt with a lot of different um, crazy interconnections, depending on the utilities. And um, as we all know, in this marketplace, uh, the utilities often change the rules of what the value proposition that solar and uh, solar brings to the project. So we love energy storage because it um, protects our customers' investments. But we also realize that um, energy management and software um, can level the playing field. It fills the gaps for um, the benefits that solar alone can't provide and any, even energy storage alone can't provide. So we, we, we love all of it. Well, there you have it. The debate table has been set. We've got software, hardware, and users to discuss and debate the merits and decide which one wins. But before we get started, let's simply set some of the ground rules. Very simply, I'll ask a question pertinent to the audience and the market to each of our debaters. Each person will then have two minutes to answer, and the others on the panel will have a couple more minutes to respond. If necessary, we'll give another minute or two for a rebuttal, follow-up, smacking down each other's ideas, you know, the general debate rhetoric you, can, you come to expect. And if you want to interrupt, please Raise your hand, gentlemen. I can unmute you if I feel like it. <laughs> okay, here we go with round one, question one. The prevailing solar industry assumption is that you have to have a battery for demand charge management. And resiliency today for commercial solar systems is often based on energy storage. But John Power is extensible you believe that is hogwash, and you said as much in your GTM op-ed that will be in our show notes after the debate. John, why is installing commercial batteries hogwash? Thanks, Nico. Look, I said it in that article, and I'll say it today. I'm a big fan of batteries, okay? I drive a battery to work every day. I've looked at the economics of batteries at the grid scale as sort of like um, replacement of peakers and that sort of thing it all pencils out. Unfortunately, the economics of commercial batteries are a train wreck in small to medium commercial buildings. And I was pleased to hear Andrew say as much during his introduction. We are not making master electricians any cheaper. We're not making fire suppression any less necessary. Permitting is still slow and painful. All these things, mean that no matter what you read in green tech media or in uh, you know Bloomberg Energy, when you see that the cost of a battery is $150 a kilowatt hour, that sounds great. And yet when we see the quotes being put into real buildings in the real world, we see $1,000 a kilowatt hour all the time. So our software, DemandX, delivers the same load flexibility services, the same improvement in demand charges, the same improvement in TOU arbitrage that a two-hour or a three-hour battery does at $80 per kilowatt hour installed equivalent. So I love batteries. I think they're completely and they're at a they're at a 10x cost disadvantage to load flexibility software in the real world in a real commercial building. 
Very interesting, John. Thank you for that perspective. Software as load flexibility management at a 10, 10x cost advantage. Andrew, what say ye to that position? Well, I think the, the reality is that, that whilst uh, software that provides load flexibility will have its place in the market, it really is a blunt instrument compared to the, the scalpel that energy storage represents. Uh, the Rocky Mountain Institute famously uh, published a paper back in 2014 uh, indicating that there are up to 13 uh, values that, that energy storage can deliver. And it's taken some time and, and, and markets are continuing to evolve, but there are certainly some advanced uh, energy economies that are now enabling uh, energy storage as a distributed energy resource to provide ancillary services and go well beyond uh, just providing demand charge management uh, to buildings. Uh, similarly, uh, software platforms, I used to work for a company called Jelly. Um, they've evolved their platforms to now enable value stacking uh, to deliver more, uh, more revenue from energy storage systems. So I think load flexibility will be able to, uh, to, to grab some of that value, but not nearly as much of the value that energy storage can before you even consider uh, resilience. And, and that's, that's what's, I think, super exciting is there's still a lot to play out in the world of energy storage. And, and for technology companies like Yotta, we're tackling head on all of those complexities that John just talked about. And we're looking to try and dramatically simplify the installation and eliminate uh, those uncertainties so that we can deliver the best priced energy storage system that maximizes the revenue to, to the customers and, and to the grid writ large. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. A scalpel versus a bludger. John, them sound like fighting words to me. I want to hear from Jonas, however. Jonas, you're a solar developer. How do you see these two responses as it pertains to you, the user in the field? Um, for me, I would say that the interconnection sets the tone for the solution. So, um, you know, throwing a large battery into a project to get the economic value out of it uh, is where you start, but then the realities set in and, you know, space constraints and uh, what will the utility allow and, and whatnot. So the reality check is always how the system is actually integrated into the building and then into the utility uh, where you miss on some of those opportunities because of uh, mechanical or space constraints, the software can help, uh, like I said, value stack some of that um, benefit without those same uh, challenges. Uh, that said, I don't think the software side speaks to one of the most important components that our customers are asking for today, and that's resiliency. And so, you know, uh, optimizing during a grid, uh, when the grids are, are working well is, is half the battle. Right now, we're contending with uh, the customer's constant request for how can I, you know, maintain where my lifestyle or um, provide resiliency when the power is going out because it's going out a lot more often now than it has been in the past. Aha, very interesting perspective. John, we're going to touch on resiliency in a minute. Before we get into resiliency, anything to to add as a rebuttal to Andrew's statements? Well, I'm as big a fan as RMI as you'll find anywhere. And I've read the value stacking paper and the value stackers from all over the pundits in the industry. But until you try to reach for those values, they don't count. 
unless the customer wants to be part of a demand response program or wants to become an energy trader playing the very, very tiny, unbelievably tiny ancillary services market, then all of this is white paper and not real world. So I agree completely with the comment about how important interconnection is, which is why it's great to go with a technology that requires no permitting of any kind and can be installed in one day. Very interesting. Final thoughts before we move on to our next topic, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I, on one hand, John's saying it's it's too complicated to enroll these assets in uh, in grid services and demand response programs. On the other hand, he he uh, depends almost entirely on them and enrolling those those DER uh, in those programs. So I, I think it's a little bit uh, you know of a, a contradiction to to say that that it's you know us us energy storage storage folks depending. Which we don't uh, on on the supplemental value that we can get is is uh, is unjustified. Um, and, and I said advanced energy economies. I'm not necessarily saying that Australia is a leading. Uh, sorry, America is a leading uh, energy economy. And, and I recognise that the ability for energy storage and other DR assets to participate in, in uh, ancillary services markets is very limited. But these markets are evolving, uh, and I think back home where I'm from in Australia, you are seeing energy storage assets participating in, in frequency response and you are seeing them being compensated appropriately. So, you know, in a similar way that the capability of value stacking didn't exist a few years ago in energy storage, it does today. And contracting for, for multiple value streams will also emerge and further enhance the value proposition of energy storage. Thank you, Mr. Tanner. I let it go over because there was a compelling entrance of data from outside of the United States, which I think is also something worth considering. Uh, I will remind our panelists that we have roughly one minute to provide a response. So appreciate it if you guys can help us stay within that time frame. I would like to, before we head to resiliency, see if Mr. Vigelba or Mr. Powers have anything final to to add in uh, in this piece of the discussion. A two-second point of clarification, which is that none of our sites require demand response program participation. All the savings we're delivering to our customers today are based on savings against the tariff, against their demand charges, and against time-of-use charges. All righty. Fantastic. Exciting first round. We're going to move on to a topic which came up in round one, and that is resiliency. So, Andrew, at Yada, you directly help enable resiliency for your customers. Seems like energy battery storage would beat Demandex hands down where resilience is concerned. How would you expound on that? Yeah, I think with regard to resilience, uh, energy storage, you know, uh, has load control uh, and, and advanced, you know, software control of loads beaten hands down. Now, I think resilience can certainly benefit from additional load control uh, in a microgrid application and ensuring that the appropriate loads um, have backup provided to them and and enable the facility to extend for longer periods of time. But I think this is a, you can't have uh, resilience without energy storage and some grid forming capability. So, you know, it's, um, load control is supplemental um, and, and is very much in need of energy storage. I don't need load control, right? And, and that's, that's the, the key point here. 
So um, uh, I think when it comes to the resilience argument, uh, there really isn't one energy storage wins hands, hands down. Thank you, Andrew. John, I'd love to hear the extensible perspective. According to Andrew, there's no need for load flexibility at all where resiliency is concerned. Well, again, what, I, I just want to go back to your question, which is about customer resiliency, right? Mm -hmm. So that generally means backup power. And that's a market we're very comfortable with. Um, DemandX can provide control of any flexible load in a building, and that includes a battery or a generator purchased for resiliency purposes. There's nothing cleaner than a diesel generator that's turned off, and most of the time, <laughs> resiliency assets are turned off. So again, when it comes to economics, batteries for resiliency only, again, don't pay for themselves. There's much cheaper alternatives. Um, now, recently, we completed a great project where a customer had opted for a solar plus storage uh, configuration so that they could have resiliency in their own facility. And we ended up controlling that battery for additional demand charge savings and time of use savings to help defray some of the costs of that battery. So we're very comfortable control. There's nothing cheaper than storage somebody's already bought for you. If somebody buys a battery for resiliency purposes, we'll control it for both resiliency and, uh, you know, for demand charge purposes too. And I want to react to the, the comment about microgrid configurations um, not needing load control software. That's absolutely true. You can pay as much money as you want and you can eventually come up with a solution that uses no software. But in the project we talked about in Colorado, um, there was no need for a critical loads panel. There was no need for an oversized battery. They right-sized the battery based on knowledge that we could control the large flexible loads in the building before the, the system was, flex was specified. So load flexibility software is not essential. You're right. It's just essential for the economics. That's an interesting rebuttal, John. I want to go back to Andrew here. Andrew, John seems to be using your own argument against you that software in this case is the scalpel and storage is the blunt device. How do you see this? Well, I, I'll go back to the, the original point I made, which is there is no grid being formed in the absence uh, of the energy storage uh, unless of course, you want to plug in a backup diesel generator or something that's driven by fossil fuels. So um, load control needs the energy storage first and foremost. Um, and, and, you know, I think the other thing to, to recognise uh, specific to Yotta uh, is that solar energy on the rooftop quite often it can actually cause more havoc to the microgrid um, than, than provide benefit. Um, by connecting the solar panels into our batteries, we are actually directly controlling uh, the, the supply of, of solar electricity on the rooftop. And that's, a, that's an absolute game changer and, and uh, you know, transformation in the way in which energy storage is, is typically coupled uh, to buildings. So you know, we are looking at, at designs now where we can push the ratio of, of solar to load well beyond what is, is, uh, is typically uh, deployed to provide resilient architecture to buildings. Before we move on to the next question, I'd like to know if Jonas or John would have anything in response. I have one response, Nico. Um, I think uh, 
the benefit that uh, load control brings in a resiliency event uh, shouldn't be overlooked and uh, the prevention of inrush. So um, you can either provide uh, resiliency to a couple of uh, light fixtures, um, you know, some, you know, minimal critical loads. Um, and, and as John mentioned, if you had a resiliency and you're backing up a whole home panel, you need that software to cut those non-essential loads and A, you're maximizing the runtime of the battery and ultimately improving the customer's uh, user experience in those uh, outage events. I think that's a an overlooked problem right now in the marketplace. I think there's a lot of batteries out there and a lot of unhappy customers when those batteries are uh, operating during a, a resiliency event. Yeah, I could not have said it better. Um, I'll send you a link for the show notes that describes a project where we're, we're doing exactly what you're talking about is making mm -hmm. the experience for the customer better, both during the times when we're saving energy when you're grid connected and the times when you're extending the life of the battery when you're not. Thank you so much for that lively debate around a topic that is hotly contested right now and certainly on the tip of most developers' tongues, that of how resiliency is, in fact, impacting the customers and the market. Jonas, moving to round three, I'd like to focus on your position as a developer. Oftentimes, you're the closest to the customer and you're the closest to the utility when it comes to discerning what the best product is for the best application. So I'd love to hear what does the market say about these two options? What's the best solution for the installer? And what's the best solution for the end customer? I think the market's solution is half of the challenge. So right now, um, solar developers, if they run into an issue, the answer is to throw more solar at it. And in the same vein, if you're solar doing plus storage or battery developers will their answer to the problem is throw more battery at it so now um the solution is throw bigger solar and throw a bigger battery and again at the beginning of the conversation we talked about um the that poses challenges to the interconnection and so although throwing a bigger battery and throwing more solar works in some cases it also often creates problems uh at the interconnection level so this is where uh, energy management really does pay off. And, and um, as John talked about, um, optimizing that uh, load control allows you to uh, right-size the solar, right-size the storage, and, and using the software to fill that gap. So I think today's solution is not a solution. I think today's solution is more of a problem. Very interesting. Today's solution is more of a problem. Andrew, I see your head nodding in the, uh, in the negative. How would you like to take your position on this? So, I, I, look, I, I would agree. If, if you are considering an AC-coupled energy storage uh, solution sitting adjacent to a, a, a solar installation, um, the utility looks at, that, looks at, looks at the, those two systems as two discrete generators uh, with the ability to disrupt um, their grid if they dispatch at the same time. Um, at Yotta, uh, we are actually sharing the same interconnection as uh, the solar. So there isn't a second interconnection. But further to that, uh, uh, above you see one solar panel connected into one of our units. We can actually connect up to two units, push the DC ratio up to two, uh, thereby actually reducing the AC interconnection by 40%. So um, we're in fact reducing 
what the size of the generator that the utility sees uh, without impacting the total amount of solar energy produced off the rooftop. Um, we're also installing the batteries between the inverter and the solar panels, uh, delivering the utility uh, clean base load solar production that can also be controlled uh, via our software platform. So we're in fact addressing uh, all of the concerns that Jonas just addressed around interconnection, uh, as well as many of the points that John raised earlier about the, the challenges that energy storage faces uh, in the small to medium sized commercial space. Very interesting. John, I'd love to hear your response to Jonas and Andrew's positions on this topic of what's best for the customer. Right. So again, I, I, of course, customer satisfaction is our top priority, but I, I liked your intro. Let's talk for a second about the, um, the installer perspective first. So with a uh, load flexibility software solution, you have a one-day installation process, which our partners, we're 100% partner-driven business. We don't go direct to buildings. We only go through solar installers to reach these accounts. So we've really tailored the offering to match what solar installers have told us is important. That zero truck rolls to the site beyond what they're already doing. There's already people on site that are doing much harder things than what's necessary to enable a building for load flexibility. Um, again, any site with um, demand charges of about eight bucks or more per KW, and that's two thirds of the commercial sites in the country, uh, it improves the return on investment of any proposed solar installation. No subsidies required, no SGIP required, no nothing. No master electricians rewiring the building, no permits, no fire suppression, all the stuff we talked about. And if it delivers the same demand charge and TOU savings as a two or $3 battery at a cost of 80 bucks per kilowatt hour installed, that's a compelling uh, value for the installer and for the end customer because they get a higher return on their solar investment, which at the end of the day, for most commercial customers, that's what they're looking for. They're looking to get away from high and inexplicable utility charges. And they're looking to the solar developer or solar installer to provide that escape. So that's what we've tried to synchronize our offering with the needs that the solar installer community has brought to us. Nico, if I can just uh, Step in there, Andrew. Something that, that John, uh, I think, rightly just pointed out is, is uh, you know, the complexity associated with selling these systems is, is uh, it, it's, it's hard enough, I think, for energy storage uh, coupling with, with, uh, with solar, right? I, I think that um, what we've tried to and I think successfully uh, achieved with, with our technology is a modular one kilowatt hour unit that if you want one, you purchase one. If you want 15, you get 15, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and and that, that simplifies the approach to adding energy storage uh, to solar projects, makes life easier uh, for them. And uh, I think a lot of solar developers are now enhancing their capability to make assessments of, of the, the role that energy storage can play. For me, load control is very nebulous. It, it's very difficult, the sales process uh, I, I can't quite peer through the, the, the process there of, of appending that to a, a solar project with any uh, form of simplicity. Uh, and, and I think that, um, I, I do think that, that Extensible has a fantastic offering, but I think it would be better 
uh, piggybacking on uh, energy storage than standing, trying to stand on its own two feet because I, I think it can support a yachter offering more so than a yachter can support an extensible offering. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity? You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with PowerHub. Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with PowerHub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. I love the uh, the context around this, uh, the chicken and egg from a customer's perspective, which should be sought first, storage versus load control and load flexibility. Jonah, since we started with you, I'd love to know if you have been compelled by either of the two arguments and if you have anything to add. You know, I, I, I believe in both types of technologies. Uh, as a contractor, one caution that comes to mind uh, related to load control would be, you know, if we're optimizing uh, HVAC systems, how do I prevent um, from the customer from calling me when the HVAC system isn't working uh, correctly. So the complexities related to load control, yes, you're adding benefit, but uh, that benefit might be something unrelated to something we're dealing with. And so that is a cautionary um, note for myself as a contractor. For sure. And, and really what either Andrew or I are asking of solar installers is that folks come down off the roof, spend a little time with the customer, have more of an energy problem solver approach than panel salesman approach. This is really, uh, you know, a solar, solar plus storage, sto solar plus load flexibility, solar plus both is, um, you know, a different kind of sale than was being made a few years ago. But this is where the industry is heading. The industry is heading for solving energy problems that are not just met by solar mm -hmm. alone. That's the direction that all the tariffs are heading. That's the direction all the markets that, that Andrew talked about are heading. So I think it's an education process that's happening regardless. And that can include you know, HVAC issues. It can include any of the sort of things that can happen in buildings, right? But the, if we wanna be the dominant form of energy supply, to the commercial sector, as opposed to being a nice to have add on, um, we, we have to go there. Well, don't get so, uh, so kumbaya and hugging it out on me just yet. We're only about two thirds of the way through the discussion here, gentlemen. And I still want to talk about what's good for the grid. We've talked about customers and installers, two key pieces of the equation. But at the end of the day, as Jonas Riley pointed out, interconnection is one of the biggest stumbling blocks. So what is good for the grid? Is energy management software best for present, preventing things like blackouts and overall grid resiliency? Are the utilities favoring more of a software versus hardware approach when it comes to their interconnection requirements or their rulemaking policies? John, let's start with you. Well, yeah, so this one is almost an unfair total slam dunk here. So load flexibility software is cheaper. It's easier to deploy. It can be rolled out in a day. 
And the need for the grid is real today. We've had our blackouts. We've had our system emergencies just this year in California already. The need is now, not in a month or in a year or in five years. So small to medium commercial buildings could be delivering right now the load shifting capability of more than 11 gigawatt hours of batteries today, more than all the batteries that have been installed on both sides of the meter in California today, plus all the batteries that have been announced in California today. So, and won't be completed for years to come. So if we're actually serious about a grid with high penetration of renewables, say for example, 100%, just to take a number that I happen to like, then load flexibility is a critical piece of the puzzle and certainly the far most cost-effective piece. Andrew, uh, I'll put it back to you. John seems to position that in the grand spectrum of scaling technology, Storage is akin to nuclear, often taking, we'll call it months or years to install, whereas software is akin to solar, something that is rapidly deployable and immediately accessible. How do you feel about that on the storage side? Well, Nico, I, I couldn't disagree uh, stronger with, with the statements before that John made. And, and I think that he, uh, you know, we both aspire to a, a world that runs on 100% renewable energy. So let's fast forward there. Uh, and in fact, just heading back home to Australia, uh, where the adoption of solar on rooftops has far outpaced uh, the United States, even states like California. Um, the challenges that they're actually seeing is, too much distributed energy and, and uh, what does load flexibility uh, do when uh, it's a Saturday in, in, in spring or fall, commercial buildings aren't occupied uh, and you know, uh, we need to curtail uh, solar production or other forms of renewable uh, or prevent uh, the, there being a, just too much energy. Um, there really isn't any role there for that load flexibility unless it's turning on to air condition a, a building that isn't occupied at that point in time versus uh, energy storage installations, which are there to soak up the surplus sun. Um, the smart inverters are providing uh, frequency and voltage support uh, to the grid, localised um, and self-healing, um, as has been the case in Australia, where there are, uh, are modes of, of deployment for inverters uh, which are, in fact, um, in, in injecting uh, real and reactive power to, to uh, self-heal the grid. grid. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, history demonstrating uh, that the role of energy storage uh, compared to load flexibility is, is one in which it's, it's become the dominant technology because I think that's, that's the future uh, as I see it. John, I'd love a, a quick rebuttal on this one. Andrew seems to position that energy storage is, in fact, the only way to soak up all of the excess sun as we get to the types of penetration on the grid of renewables that we all desire. So it's fine with me if Andrew wants to limit himself to sort of Saturday afternoons in the spring as being the key role of batteries. That's no problem for us. The rest of the time when buildings are occupied, shifting energy from times when the grid is strained to times when solar is abundant is clearly uh, the, the market that we're pursuing. And so, yeah, there's no, there's no problem having batteries play a, a, you know, a role in this. 
But I, I feel that it's a little weird to say that that's the role of behind the meter batteries when you could well imagine batteries deployed at grid scale for vastly less if what you're trying to solve is a grid problem. We're trying to solve customer problems, which is they're paying too much for electricity and that they're sometimes paying too much for batteries. So by mimicking a battery in software at a tenth the cost, you can help with the grid, but mostly you help with the customer. So just a point of clarification, Nico, um, our technology works seven out of seven days uh, and not just five out of seven days to support the grid. Um, and, and not only that, it's the two out of seven that will present the most challenge to the grid operators. So, uh, in fact, we're working 100% of the time to support the grid uh, when the grid is being the most challenged versus 0%, as John stated. I will say, uh, Nico, from from somebody who's selling solar, you know, everybody's sold solar that might be listening to this, and, and you have these uh, financial analysis, um, analysis reports that say, hey, this system will produce this much energy over the next 25 years, which, you know, matches the warranty. Um, there was a mention of curtailing the solar system, and so uh, I... I, I squirm at the idea of having a solar system that could be producing 100, only producing 50 because that's all that they're consuming. And so it pulls the rug out from every uh, value proposition that a solar salesperson is telling their customer that the system will produce when you curtail that. So there are multiple ways to curtail and, uh, and load shifting is another way of doing that as well. And so um, uh, I just uh, don't like the idea of having solar systems producing a portion of what they could be producing. You know, I'd almost rather uh, air condition at different times and whatnot. So. Yeah, very interesting perspective from a developer actually in communication with the customer and also thinking from the perspective of how solar is being sold. Uh, I think there's an argument on both sides about the, the, very, uh, the very notion, Jonas, of how solar is being sold. Uh, and how we integrate these technologies. But that sounds like it's potentially for another debate. We'll move on to our last and final topic today. There is a lot to be said on both sides for batteries and software. But is there a middle ground here? Are batteries right for every commercial installation? Is there energy management that's right for every installation. Jonas, why don't you take us home here with your perspective on the right fit for the right deal? You know, Nico, I, I, I would say that there definitely is a middle ground here. Um, the, the best solution is to optimize all of your resources. And so when you actually, most of the folks that, that we work with, uh, the resources are your solar, they're the battery, they're the grid, they're the backup generator. When you incorporate uh, energy management as an additional resource, then it allows um, a system designer to optimize or right-size that solar and storage and then deliver that best possible outcome for the consumer. So um, I think uh, we, we talk about energy management as the digital glue that brings it all together. And so I think that's a really important um, point here. I think um, um, we can argue black and white all day long, but the fact of the matter is we live in a uh, a gray world and, and you're going to have to um, optimize. Um, so 
that's my perspective there. Andrew, what's your response? Well, I think uh, energy storage is is the uh, the fries to the the solar panel burger, so to speak, and and load control is the ketchup that you put on the fries. Uh, I, I think the uh, it's it's uh, it's supplemental. Um, it, it it makes the meal that little bit more tastier, but you know it, it you're never never gonna I think fully maximize the potential if you're eating raw ketchup. Um, that you get when you complement it with energy storage. So um, I, I, I'm a big believer in, in load control and advanced software uh, the, to utilize um, those, those the, uh, uh, in concert with the energy storage system to maximize the value to the customer. Um, but I think we can all coexist together, um, provide resilience uh, and, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, support and the proliferation of renewable energy and decentralized uh, solar power going on rooftops. Um, and, and I'm, you know, looking to a future where I'm working, um, you know, with John uh, to achieve that. John, Andrew's position is that the aforementioned solar buyer isn't pulling away from the metaphorical fast food restaurant looking into his bag for all of the ketchup. Is uh is the is this demandex or or any load flexibility software being uh, is it okay for it to be relegated to just a purely a condiment in the overall product mix? So no, um, you know again I'm happy to continue this strained analogy a bit further if we like. I mean, I have no problem if batteries are the fries and load flexibility software is the curly fries. In some, some people will prefer batteries in one application. Some will prefer curly fries. And I'll just be more specific in, in, and you know, down to earth here. In small to medium commercial buildings, where HVAC, for example, is the largest load, and I'll just give a few examples, it's office, retail, church, school, conditioned warehouse, municipal building, anything where HVAC is the biggest load, batteries don't pencil, except if you want some sort of clean resiliency product. And that's fine. If you want an expensive, clean resiliency product, we'll be happy to manage it for you for the best possible results. But if you stack one against the other in those types of buildings, the 10x cost disadvantage that batteries have is compelling. You have to look at the total cost of the total solution being proposed to each customer and say, that's where you start the optimization. You start by saying what accomplishes what you, the customer is trying to accomplish for the fewest dollars. And that's mm -hmm. where load flexibility software really shines. I look forward to going arm in arm with uh, Andrew in many potential clean resiliency applications for sure. I think that's a great role for batteries. I'll leave it there. <laughs> Andrew, it seems that uh, John, in the greater discussion around scale for the industry, applications for CNI customers, is suggesting that load flexibility is simply more uh, relevant to more of the types of CNI customers that Jonas might be finding in the marketplace. Is storage therefore going to be relocated to the large and extremely large projects? Uh, or do you have a relevant place in the markets that John uh, just, re just referred to? No, I think I, I want to latch on to the word flexibility a little bit more here, given that it's being you know, applied to, to John's technology. 
um, when in reality, energy storage delivers you maximum flexibility to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And, and I think there are a lot of facilities um, that do have highly variable loads, um, manufacturing, for example, um, heavy machinery, which might turn on and off for short periods of time where batteries uh, are clearly the, the best technology to, to help support um, reduce uh, demand charges um, from that specific piece of equipment. Uh, those manufacturing processes are not going to want to uh, alter their processes uh, and can't in many instances um, to, to align with, with uh, so-called load flexibility. So I think it's keen uh, I'm keen for you to certainly take away that energy storage maximizes flexibility um, in the deployment uh, of it within buildings. Very well. Well, we started the, the question around middle ground here with you, Jonas, around the right fit for the right customers. John and Andrew have pre presented some compelling and thoughtful uh, exchange around the the relevant value of each of their technology approaches. What uh, final thoughts might you have around the appropriate fit? Well, um, I think that, uh, again, the middle ground uh, is there. I think there's challenges. Um, again, uh, one, one consideration as you, as you acknowledge the idea that you do need uh, some sense of software or, or energy uh, management paired with energy storage is that uh, I think uh, as a contractor, uh, we work really hard and hire the best electricians. And the reality is uh, the energy management is not necessarily a technology installed by an electrician, but more of a technician. So uh, we as a, you know, the, the boots on the ground, again, putting these in, need to diversify our work, our work uh, crews. And, and uh, it, it's a, there's a learning curve there that uh, is a reality check. And so um, at the end of the day, we're trying to deliver the best possible uh, outcome to the customer. And I do believe that there's uh, a need for both energy storage, as Andrew raised a good point about the demand charge savings can be exponentially uh, beneficial and, and help recover the costs. Um, and uh, in in certain events, and then the additional value stacking that energy management brings to that is uh, shouldn't go without notice as well. But we have to diversify our work uh, crews to be able to deliver this blended uh, product to the marketplace. Jonas, very keen point. I'll leave it uh, for Andrew and John in parting thoughts here on this one topic. Is retraining or additional training going to be an issue for either of the customers that you both are facing, which is the installer in the field, your preferred channel to get your technology out to the end customers. Andrew? Yeah, look, I think the, the brilliance of, of this technology, and again, what attracted me to, to join Yotta um, was the, the fact that energy storage has sort of existed in a, in a solar plus storage as though they're brother and sister technologies, when really in fact, AC coupled energy storage is very complex, um, requires a separate interconnection, a uh, separate siding, um, and, and it, it really doesn't deserve the, to, to roll off the tip of the tongue like, like solar plus storage does uh, until you get to Yotta. Um, Yotta actually substitutes for the concrete ballast block on the rooftop uh, instead of connecting the, the solar panel into a, uh, into a micro inverter or, or you know, daisy chain together. You're in fact hooking them 
into uh, our battery and then into uh, the inverter or, or string inverter. So um, the process of getting concrete blocks to, to the rooftop uh, is all we're substituting for. Uh, and there is no, we use MC4 connectors, so there's no additional retraining. Uh, it dramatically simplifies the process of adding uh, energy storage to solar deployments, in fact. Fascinating. The Yada product and and increasingly, I presume, more storage is being more directly integrated, not only into the training, but into the existing protocols and processes of installers. John, how about on the software side? Well, I just want to say to Andrew, this is one of the reasons I'm super excited for Yada, because simplifying the integration of solar and storage is a critical piece of the puzzle. Um, for our own software, our many installation partners have already told us that the work is quite simple, that it's not, it, it does require retraining a day's worth of retraining of the staff that's already going on site. So it's not a heavy lift at all to go from a solar installation team to a solar plus load flexibility software installation team. So, and we, we of course help all our partners with that. Fantastic. Well, at least within the confines of our debate and the panelists chosen, it seems that retraining Jonas isn't going to be a huge impediment for Promise Energy and, uh, and the similar developers in the market. Well, let's move into our final statements from what has been for me a very informative, insightful and riveting, uh, often comical uh, and, and very to the point debate about the great solar debate between software and hardware. But we must bring, as all good things do, this debate to an end. And we'll do so by going around to each one of you to answer our final question. What's your bold prediction for CNI storage in the next year and in the next decade? Andrew, 2021 versus 2031. Well, I think, uh, I think, you're starting to see it now. Um, markets like Massachusetts, where they're mandating energy storage uh, to the addition of, of solar projects, more than 500 kilowatts. I think you're going to start to see more mandating uh, of energy storage in markets where high penetrations of renewable energy are, are edging up into, you know, the 20 plus percent range. Um, for Yotta, uh, 2021 for us is is launching our product uh, UL certified. So we're Super excited to, to see how the market uh, embraces us. Um, we already know that a lot of projects uh, that have wanted to deploy energy storage haven't because of a lot of the, the challenges that we've already discussed. And so we know that there's a, a, an untapped opportunity uh, for us to, to integrate. Um, and then I think over the next decade, I think we're we're going to see uh, this world march. I think at a at an accelerated rate towards uh, hopefully 100% renewable energy uh, before the next decade is out. Um, that cannot be achieved uh, without energy storage, and I think it cannot be achieved without smart controls of, of loads. And and uh, I do think that there is a one plus one equals three combination that does exist. Uh, between companies like Extensible and, and Yotta, and, and we're uh, very encouraged by um, the software capabilities that, that com companies such as John's uh, are providing, as well as 
uh, a multitude of, of market enabling uh, platforms that will, will provide uh, revenue for DER as grid services uh, to, to the broader, uh, broader bulk market. Jonas, let's go to you next. What bold prediction have you for the CNI storage market for 2021 and 2031? I think that uh, 2021 is going to be a banner year, fueled by the reduction of the ITC for CNI. Um, I think that's going to help bring optimization to supply chain for uh, ESS and ultimately uh, help drive the price down as well. So I think 2021 is a very important year for energy storage. Um, I'm really excited about that. Um, beyond that, um, and even starting in summer 2021, I think grid services are the next big driving force for solar and storage. I think utilities are realizing that behind the meter storage can help uh, add a lot of value to their own network. And uh, we're starting to see new ways to participate and work together with the utilities, a lot of uh, RFPs. And so I think that will continue to grow over the next 10 years. And that's also a, a very exciting proposition. Very exciting from the desk of one of the leading installers and developers in California who is integrating both of these technologies into your projects. Finally, we go to John of Extensible Energy. John, what's your bold prediction for the CNI storage market in the next year and over the next decade? What's in your crystal ball? So for, for 2021, I'll, I'll boil it down to one word, and that's innovation. I think that the storage industry and the complementary software industry is going to wow us with some of the ways that, just as Andrew has described, and hopefully I have, that some things that developers have not been aware of to date are really available to, to simplify installation, simplify configuration, and meet the growing demand for solar storage and load flexibility. So I think 2021 is a banner year, but it, a lot of that is due to the fact that change is coming very quickly and improvements are coming very quickly to the market. Over the next 10 years, I'm just gonna go with SIA. SIA did a paper that showed, you know, if you think of all the solar that we've deployed over the last 45 years in this country, now take that big, big number and multiply it by six, that's what we're going to deploy in the next 10 years wow. in the U.S. alone. This is a $1 trillion solar opportunity in the next decade, or as I like to think about it, $2 billion a week for the next 10 years of solar projects are going to be deployed. And those are going to have with it um, storage in a lot of cases, and they're going to have with it in a lot of cases load flexibility software. My bold prediction for the next 10 years is in this fast-growing market, software will, will be the fastest-growing segment. Bold indeed. And I love the narrowing down the focus to something as finite as many of you installers, developers, and market participants can, in fact, appreciate. And that is how much we have to do each and every week to move the ball forward. Sia has declared this the solar plus decade, solar plus storage, solar plus uh, software and load flexibility and load controls. 
the future is bright. Two billion dollars a week of solar plus being deployed for the next 10 years. How will you play a role? This is the macro question as we do try to decide and define how will innovation, how will storage and software change the fundamental way not only that we all work as an industry but the way that we compel our colleagues, our friends, our family and those that work around us to adopt the technology that we all want to see living in this world, the energy transition we're all participating in. Not only do you have a role in that, but you have a role as we wrap up our great solar debate, my friends. Carry this conversation forward. Engage with us in discussion about it on LinkedIn and on Twitter with the hashtag SPI Suncast and the hashtag Energy Twitter. Thank you so much to our participants, John Powers from Extensible Energy, Jonas Villalba from Promise Energy, and Andrew Tanner from Yada Energy. It has been such a joy to have this discussion with you all. I'd also like to thank our host for helping make this conversation a reality within the context of Solar Power International 2020, and that is CSEPA and Solar Energy Trade Shows. Thank you once again to you all for tuning in, and we hope that you'll join us the next time we have our great solar debate. All right, Solar Warriors, I hope that was as fun for you as it was for us when we produced it. That's a wrap for this great debate. What other context or content or debaters would you like to see in the great solar debates? I'm having some conversations this very week with Tor and a couple of other collaborators on how we can carry this conversation forward, have more great solar debates. What are the great solar debates? Can you chime in, ping me on Twitter or LinkedIn or hit me up? Uh, on my email, nico at mysuncast.com. Let me know how you'd like to see us bring the great solar debate forward in 2021. I really do want your feedback. Let me know what you think of these short form discussions as well. You can do all of that by taking our listener survey over at mysuncast.com. Right there on the homepage, you'll see a clear icon to take the listener survey. And that's something that I read and our team portals over looking for your insight and advice on how we can make Suncast better as we head into a new year that's it for us here today and i hope that you and yours will have a fabulous thanksgiving i hope that the social distancing will not prevent you from being able to experience and enjoy this year's thanksgiving with at least your closest loved ones love from us here at suncast and thank you so much for tuning in remember you are what you listen to thanks again for showing up solar warrior it's half the battle